Doing the impossible is not something you make happen. It's something that you allow to happen. After conducting over 10,000 personal and group coaching sessions over the last decade, author and personal coach Jason Dries has unlocked the simple yet effective formula to accept and create success in your life on the most basic, instinctive level. In his latest book, Do the Impossible, Jason gives readers access to the same life-changing principles he provides in his personal coaching sessions. Ready to embrace success as a state of being? In this exclusive listener offer, get your copy of Do the Impossible for 50% off from the publishers at Bigger Pockets. To get your copy of Do the Impossible for 50% off any format, go to www.biggerpockets.com impossible50. That's 50% off any format, www.biggerpockets.com impossible50. So why you do it is because it's exercise for your brain and by extension, your mind. and It is a massively empowering thing to know that happiness, which most of us assume is an unalterable factory setting, but in fact, what the science is showing us is that happiness is a skill that you can train, and that is incredibly good news. Welcome to On Brand with Donnie Deutsch. I am Donnie Deutsch, and this is the show dedicated to a simple premise that everything and everybody is a brand. Every athlete, every celebrity, every product, every corporation, every movement is a brand. And that's what we do on the show. We do two things. First, we do an interview with a uh, big personality about their own brand. And today it's Dan Harris. Uh, he is the guy that is known for 10% Happier. Uh, if you haven't heard of this, it's amazing. He was a former anchor on World News Tonight kind of had an epiphany, a life moment, and is all into meditation and has this amazing credo, this amazing book. He's building an empire out of this 10% happier. But it, how you can get 10% happier in, in kind of overnight. And it's really interesting. I don't do a lot of these self-help things, but you can really like it. And we also do our brands of the week. And these are the brands shaping the zeitgeist, which brands are up, which brands are down, which brands are moving us. And today uh, we're doing something special. I have a cohort Doing it with me, Emily Jane Fox. Uh, Emily is senior correspondent, senior national correspondent at um, Vanity Fair and also the author of the best-selling book, Born Rich, about the Trump family. She's brilliant and uh, she's going to be joining us right now. Emily Jane Fox, welcome to the show. What a treat. <laughs> Let's get right into it. Right, Emily, first brand of the week is, and it's a huge brand down, it's actually a brand up because it's successful, but I can't say it that way. And that's for the great replacement theory. Um, mm. The This is something that obviously is all over the manifesto of uh, the killer in Buffalo who killed 10 people, uh, racially motivated hate crime. And this is something that is not just now being spewed by the crazy, crazy, crazy far right. It's Tucker Carlson. Let's call him out by name. It's other politicians. It's, it's Len Stefanik, Ellen Stefanik. It is this theory that is being put out there that basically says that there's a cabal, a Jewish cabal specifically in many cases, that basically wants to replace whites by, by immigration, by through electoral college change, through interracial marriage, through violence, and they're looking to replace white people with people of color. And this is, this is sad, this is tragic, and this is branding. It's, it's horrific. And I wish that I could say... Um, this is an isolated tragedy and we can mourn this. But um, after this happened, there were two other mass shootings in this country, probably more. Um, and uh, we have a a wing of this country that has completely 
radicalized and we have politicians in Washington who are unwilling to do anything about it, um, both because it has benefited them and oftentimes because they believe in some of these things. And and we have um, media who is completely out of control and unchecked. And we have gun laws in this country that enable all of these crazy conspiracy theories that are spewed by these people to result in violence and death and, and tragedy. It's, it's the biggest shame of our nation. The check on the media, I'll tell you a check on the media that I would recommend right now, because you could put together a greatest hits of Tucker Carlson. I'm going to call him out by name where he literally espoused this. This, this is a theory. And, and, and basically every advertiser should be written to and said, are you, are you okay sponsoring this? This is, this is, this, this is, there's a dotted line here. And that's the way you start to silence hate mongers like this. Go after the advertisers. Say, are you aware? Are you okay with this? Because we're going to put out a list of advertisers who are sponsoring us. That's one solution. Well, it's it's interesting because I believe that he doesn't have that many advertisers on Fox News. Given given the fact that he is... Uh, as successful in ratings as he is, I think that there are, there's like my pillow guys left advertising. Right, right. Um, they they have lost a lot of this, and actually, I learned this from you. I learned the concept of toxic advertising from from you and listening to you, and I started paying attention to it because because I've heard you talk about it so many times. And they really Fox News does not advertise the way that they ought to, based on how many people watch. Uh, and I don't, so I don't know what the answer is. That that is the the typical solution is to get advertisers yep. to turn, but we are out of typical territory here. Scary, scary stuff. Next brand, uh, a brand down for Ultra MAGA. Uh, that's something that that Biden termed last week, referring to the real Trump zealots, Ultra MAGA. And that is was a mistake. You're just basically giving it a, a very uh, positive adjective. You need to call them maniac magas or crazy magas or or extremist magas, a word that says something about MAGA that scares you a little bit, that pushes you back, as opposed to just MAGA squared or ultra MAGA. And it's once again the Democrats not knowing how to punch hard enough. Mm. What would what would you name it? MAGA maniacs. Mm. Uh, something that says that the whole point is you want to scare people, that these are not just people who are, you know conservative right-wingers, these are the crazies. These are that the people marching on Washington in the Capitol, this is what's representative of a huge part of the MAGA wing, but call them MAGA maniacs. Well, part of the problem with that though, and I think that that's great and now I'm, I may start to use it in my personal life, is that I feel like they would own that that they would, you would immediately start seeing them put it on hats and t-shirts and, and own it. And sometimes I think part of the problem with that wing of the party is that they want to be singled out for their support, that they're, they're proud of the fact that the rest of the country hates them and vilifies them and that only ca- uh, calcifies them. That's, that's my problem with the ultra thing. I think maniac, yeah. let them call themselves maniacs and that's fine. Let them call themselves yeah. maniacs. Oh, I, I have one. I want to talk. It's a, it's a down. Um, for all baby formula in this country, have you been following this? Yes, there's a huge shortage. I actually do yeah. know that. It probably doesn't touch your life as, as much as, 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 as it touches. Not as much as you with a beautiful little daughter or a little yes. infant daughter. But there is a massive, massive shortage of formula in this country, and it's affecting you know, tens and hundreds of thousands of families across this country. Uh, it's a whole confluence of factors that Why? have led what, to this. What's the reason? It's, it's complicated. It's, I think there's three prongs here, and I may get some of them wrong, but this is what I think. I think um, there was, at the beginning of the pandemic, 
there was uh, hoarding of, of infant formula as there was toilet paper and paper towels and cleaning supplies, right? All these families bought up boxes and boxes and cans and cans of, of formula. And then um, they didn't need to buy as much. So, so companies didn't know how much to produce. They stopped producing as much quantity. Um, and then at the same time, there was a baby boom. So companies then needed to rush the supply of formula to, to, to keep up with the demand. Um, so supply and demand was some, some of it. And then there was also an outbreak of bacteria in one brand of baby formula. And the fact that there are insane, crazy laws uh, regulating how baby formula gets made and approved by the FDA. So there's this whole three-pronged thing that's... And I'm assuming it's, it's, it's hurting people in, in lower socioeconomic brackets more because somehow people who well, are wealthy sure. can, can figure it out. And, and you find it. can import things that have a 17% import tax. Right. Um, it's also a luxury to be able to breastfeed, to have the time and the resources to be able to stay home and breastfeed your child. So yes, it does disproportionately affect uh, lower middle-income families, but it is scary. There, are, I am in wow. in Facebook groups, in mommy groups, where people are like, I don't have anything to feed my my six-month-old. Wow. Uh, so it's scary. And uh, it's a, a real issue that the administration is starting to try and look at, but nothing's happening fast enough. And, wow. and it needs to happen yesterday. All right. I have a brand up. Can I give you a brand yes, up? Yes, we always like brand ups. Okay, I, I've been dying to talk to you about this okay. one. So last week... An Andy Warhol painting sold for a record $195 million. Yes, it did. Dollars. Maryland. Okay. As a, a Maryland, which is, you know, it's it's like a, the print of it has been in every college dorm room for, right. for uh, the, 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 the all of time. Okay. What do you think about this this painting fetching as, as much as it did as someone who I would consider an art aficionado? Yes. Not somebody who can afford $195 million paintings, but still has not some... Yet, some Donnie, not yet, Dream big. <laughs> Dreaming. <laughs> it's nothing more than supply and demand and that the uber, 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 uber wealthy, wealthy will always want a one-of-a-kind something that somebody else doesn't have. And the price is only is because what somebody will pay for it. And it's mm. just that I own it and I'm able to buy it for $200 million and then 10 years from now, somebody will pay $300 million for it. So does it make sense? No. Uh, I could argue that the NFT stuff makes even less sense, that you've mm. got digital art now going for $69 million that just lives on your phone. So I, if you want to say, talk about the absurdity in the art world, I would kind of go there. But the reason art always holds its value, if you go visit, not always holds its value, but the best stuff does and increases... If you went to Italy right now or you went to another country, you wouldn't go visit their currency. You would go visit the great art that exists. And other than real estate and art, it's the only pieces of Western civilization that you can actually buy, physically mm. own. You know? And so in time, the same way the best real estate, the best art, which is basically a hard asset of a Western civilized culture, lives through time. And so that's why this art is what it is. It's crazy. Art History 101 with, with Donnie. Actually... This, this leads me to think, maybe the brand up is not the Warhol. Maybe it is Marilyn because she is really, with this painting, with Kim Kardashian wearing her dress. Yes. There's a Netflix that's, documentary that's, out about that, her that, life. I feel it. like Marilyn Monroe is having is. a moment and, right and now. And this particular one, there's, there's, there's a handful of them, but this particular one was known as iconic. And it was the, it was the, uh, it, it just, it defies logic. Speaking of mm. which, this leads into my next brand up, The American Dream. The American dream is alive. This is an interesting thing from Axios that 70, this is counterintuitive because I would have thought with all the negativity, it might be opposite. 
70% of U.S. adults across race, gender, political partner income say the American dream is achievable, according to Gallup. Um, 80% of America's millionaires, foreign and U.S. born, are first generation. This is interesting. 44% of Fortune 500 companies have at least one founder who's an immigrant or the child of immigrants. Mm. Um, the U.S. remains the leading destination for immigrants and 20% of all the world's immigrants in the U.S. So this whole kind of notion as we look around the world and the horribleness of refugees and the anti-immigration that goes in this country and other countries, the American dream and the step up for immigrants is more alive than it's ever been before. Mm. Well, it's funny because no one has been able to message that, right? Yeah. Uh, you you either have one side um, talking about how immigrants are are the problem and the other side just sort of having to answer for that. So uh, this is something that politicians could message around. That is the good news. Yeah, unfortunately. The problem is that you say that and then to the average person, they're still going to see what a loaf of bread costs right now or what the gas costs right now. and They, they can't see past it. That's the thing that touches them on a daily basis. It's right on their nose. And that's the Democrats are going to have a big problem. Hey, a brand down to the iPod. They are discontinuing the iPod. This is, F and here's what's amazing. Here's why I brought it up. This is amazing. It first arrived only 20 years ago. It just shows you how fast the technological revolution, this thing was it. You could put a thousand songs on Did it. Did you have an iPod? Of course I had an iPod. I'm not that old. I had an iPod. I've had a few. I had, <laughs> I had the little ones. I had I had the original one, which wasn't even like the little square one, which was kind of like... I just can't imagine you like listening to music on the go yes. in your in your life, but but I like the image. Yes, well, because I always had it for working out. I had the original, oh, which right. was like the size of a cigarette carton. Yeah, I remember it. But it, I bring that up to just show it like right now, it seems like this archaic thing from another era. But that was 2001. That wasn't 1983. That was 1977. It's incredible, mm -mm. isn't it? Oh, well, it makes you just so excited for the future about where things are are headed. If if the i that clunky cigarette box size iPad was only 20 years ago, what are they going to come up with in in 20 years from now? It makes me think of another brand that I wanted to bring up to you. Sure. Um Elon Musk, and I'm bringing him up because of Twitter and and it's a down for me. But but if we're going to connect the two, um, there's no one who's going to, I think, revolutionize the world and the products that we touch more than Elon Musk in the next 20 years, right? right. So it makes me feel really excited for what he's going to do and what he's going if to create. If he keeps his eye on the system. ball, I mean, and, and stops Correct. fucking around with things like Twitter. It's What is happening with Twitter is so crazy to me. I, I, I'm even scared to bring it up because every half day something different is happening. But right now it seems like there's maybe a, a pause in the plan to take over. Uh, it just feels so chaotic. And I sort of just want to say to him, like, just do the thing that you're good at doing yeah. and don't worry about the the Michigas, the rest of the stuff. Yeah, the reason it's not going to happen is because the price that he would have to buy it at is probably twice as what it's worth right now. Correct. I mean, it's just so, the, the, the numbers are not going to, a lot of people thought the numbers are never going to add up. I've had a problem with this since the beginning. We've talked about this on the show that it, like it reminds me of an old Bond villain, you know, where the richest mm. guy in the world buys up the most important social, social political platform in the world. There's just something in my in my tummy that doesn't feel right about him owning Twitter. I mean, beyond the fact that he's already said that he's going to put Trump back on and things like that, he's a, he seems to be a seems to like to fuck with people. Uh, seems to not be a I don't want to say not a stable guy, but not a right down the middle of the, you know, look, you know, look people straight in the eye. There's something a little cheeky, shady, quirky, off about him. And I just, I worry about it in his, his hands. Well, he's a provocateur. And 
And um, you you have Elon now possibly buying Twitter. You have Bezos who bought the Washington Post. If this becomes a country of the richest men, exactly, buying things that are either interesting to them or make them more powerful, that's scary. There's a Springsteen line that's poor man want to be rich, rich man want to be king, king ain't satisfied until he owns everything or rules everything. Um, And it sort of... That's where we're headed, right? These guys have more money than God, and now they're like, "Well, what? What can I control? What, what can I do? What can I? Yeah." And then it it, yeah. it it it's not going to stop. It's not going to stop. Here's an interesting one. Uh, brand up for actually, it's a brand down, but it's a brand up for the concept of it. Workers having hidden lives. This is what's called a workplace identity crisis. Three in five people are hiding something from their employer. Most American workers are keeping something secret about their real personality. Sixty-four percent are fearful of being authentic around others in the workplace whether it has to do about their sexuality, whether it has to do about their personal life, whether it has to do about their political view, but that two-thirds of people feel they're not their real selves at work. And mm. I, find that, I find that interesting and kind of sad, actually. I mean, it's sad considering how much time you spend at your job, right? Yeah. I, think, I think there's a, a healthy level of being professional at the office that everyone working from home now, we don't have. Like, it's okay to not tell everybody everything that's going on in your personal life at work. But uh, the underlying assumption there is that uh, they either feel or it has been expressed to them that they can't be a full version of themselves for fear of retribution or judgment or interfering with their work. And that that's sad. I, I wish that everyone worked in a place where they felt content to be themselves. But but also there's a boundary. You've been remote for a very long time. You're a writer. Yes. Um, I've wailed a lot on the show about that. But I have a big problem with the workplace disappearing with the with so many people opting to be able to work from home, work remote. You miss mentoring. You miss physical, you know, physical cues. I, you know, somebody who built the business that was built around this amazing office space. We were one of the first ones with the open, with Deutsche Advertising, with the open office spaces, with the, you know, with the scooters going up and down the hall. And I'm just curious as somebody who's a bit younger than me, are you considered a millennial? What are, what are, you, what are, you, are you? I'm definitely, I'm square, squarely square millennial. Middle, as millennial, mm-hmm. what's, what's your view on that? Um, I personally never want to go into an office again. <laughs> right. But I worked in offices for a really long time and there is value in them. I think certain jobs, it's essential. Um, my husband hates working from home and all he wants to do is... An, I hope that's not an indictment on me. I think it's more of a, he's a, he's a, he has a creative job. So I think uh, he, doing the creative stuff from home is nearly impossible. So for you guys, uh, you and my husband have very, you need, you need that, that uh, hive mind, right? Yeah. 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 Like you need, you need to be in the room. You need to feel that energy. You need to spitball and you can't do that over Zoom for, for many, many jobs. For me, I'm very happy to stay at yes. home and doing it. You also it have your beautiful home. little daughter that you want to be around all the time. So that that's that, right. That kind of puts. I, I I just think we there's too much power in the employee now. I I would be in line with Jamie Dimon saying, "Gotta get back to work." That's it. If you if you're well enough to go to a restaurant, you're well enough to come to work. And and that's just me. I'm I'm old school. Yeah. What else you got? Well, we sort of touched on it about the NFTs, but um. We're in a difficult place this week, a down for for cryptocurrency. Have you been following this? Oh at all? yeah, it's, yes, and I own some, but it's it's been it's been crap. You know, there's a lot of prognosticators that say this is this thing is really fucking going to go to the bottom. I don't know. It about seems that. like every everything that I've been reading about it, uh, they're comparing it to the dot com crash in mm-hmm. 2000, where everything was up, 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 and now everyone's up shit's creek. 
Yeah, I, that's a TBD. The only, the only pushback I'll give on it is if enough young people believe in it, it becomes a fait accompli. And blockchain is here as a technology. Just the various coins, particularly, you know, all these Doge and all these other things. Yes, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But the fundamental technology and how it will be monetized is here to stay, but that still hasn't shaken out. But there's a lot, a lot of nervous people. I'll just do one or two more. This, this is, I, I kind of like this a lot. Hostess, which is one of your favorite brands, they make Twinkies, Ding Dongs, and Ho Hos. I know you like that stuff. Huge, they have huge really, fan. They have said that they will not target any of their advertising to kids under the age of thirteen mm. because of the obesity problem. And I give them—you got to give them a big, big brand up for that. I mean, uh, that's—you would think that's all who eats that stuff, but they—they're—they're they're having some real corporate conscience, and good for them. Can I ask you a dumb question? Yeah. About this, as an advertiser. Yes. If they stop advertising to to children under the age of 13, it's not like those people are the ones buying it, right? Well, so if they're advertising uh, to their parents, are, yeah, I don't, I don't totally point. get it. Well, yes. If, you, you, if I was advertising a host, I would do it both ways. The parents are decision makers, but, you, but in, with products like that, the kids, it's the nag factor. You know, okay. that's, that's why you advertise toys on Saturday morning TV. The oh, parents God. aren't going. But yes, that's the way they hedge it. They still will advertise to parents. They'll advertise to young adolescents and hopefully it trickles down to the kids. But I like the sentiment in, in practice. It doesn't totally make sense to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think this, this was a great experiment and I, I love doing Brands of the Week with you and you better be coming back. Anytime, you name it. And those are our Brands of the Week and thank you, Emily Jane Fox. This was a, a, an amazing, amazing experiment. And let's get right now to our big brand uh, interview, Dan Harris. Power blackouts. They happen every year. But guess what, blackouts? You've met your match. Say hello to Goal Zero, the leader in affordable home power backup systems and solar generators. Goal Zero's generators power your fridge, freezer, lights, Wi-Fi, TV, and more with clean power. Their home backup systems, like the Yeti 3000X, have no fuel, no fumes, no noise, and no maintenance. Just good, clean energy that keeps your home up and running. They offer a range of products and affordable price points, from power stations that can provide a half day's worth of power, to solar generators and home backup systems that can keep you powered for one, two, or three days. Plus, they're all portable, so you can take your power with you when you go camping, tailgating, and more. So yeah, take that, blackouts. Our power is here to stay. Have peace of mind when blackouts hit. Go to GoalZero.com to learn more. I'm thrilled with today's guest, Dan Harris. Uh, Dan changed his life and a lot of other lives with three words, 10%, 10 happier. Uh, of course, he's got the podcast. He's got the app. It's become an empire. And it's, uh, this is a man who has kind of recreated himself, rebranded himself, and kind of found a new life and a, a really happy life. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks for having me. Well, your story, let, let's pick up your story. You most people know you, or a lot of people know you before before the 10%, before the 10% juggernaut, if you will. But uh, <laughs> most people know you as an ABC anchor. And take us back to your early days and as a kind of you, you covered wars, you were kind of a crusader. You you called it you had vicious ambition. I think that's an accurate description. I was very ambitious. I, I joined ABC News in the year 2000. I was 28 years old, really straight out of local news and Boston, Massachusetts, and uh, very eager to make a name for myself. Also very insecure. I was really green, really young, and working with people like Peter Jennings, Barbara Walters, Diane Sawyer, and uh, 
Charlie Gibson. And I, my way of coping with that was to become a workaholic. Um, I kind of threw myself into the job and I had this constant anxiety loop of, you know, how good was my last story? What's my next story going to be? Who's getting the story I want? What's my relationship with the anchors? Blah, blah, blah. And to me, I thought success had to be directly correlated to this anxiety. Now, you had a life-changing moment, which really kind of has informed everything we've done. You had a panic attack on the air. And take take us through that and what led up to that and how everything changed since then. Yeah, uh, that was in 2004. I was filling in as the newsreader on Good Morning America. That's the person who comes on at the top of each sure, hour and of reads a few headlines. I uh, th- That job doesn't exist anymore, but at the time it was done by a young lady named Robin Roberts, who's mm-hmm. now the legendary co-host of the show. Um, and uh, I had done this, I had filled in for her many times before, so I didn't have any reason to foresee what was about to happen, which was I was a few seconds into my spiel, just sort of reading some mundane headlines off of the teleprompter. And uh, all of a sudden, my heart started to race. My palms got sweaty. My mouth dried up. My lungs seized up. I couldn't breathe, which is inconvenient if you're trying to anchor the news. Yeah, I would say so. And I had to quit right in the middle. Um, and afterwards, I went to a doctor, an expert in, in panic, and he asked me a bunch of questions. And one of the questions was, do you do drugs? And I said a little bit sheepishly, yes. And he kind of gave me one of those shrinky looks that communicated uh, the sentiment of, okay, idiot, mystery solved. Um, and you the, doing, the backstory you there. At, you were doing coke at the time. I was not, yeah, I was, but not on not the on, air. Not so on the air. No, no, no. I, had done, I was doing a lot of drugs, including cocaine and ecstasy and other stuff. I had spent a lot of time in war zones in Iraq and Afghanistan, Israel, the West Bank, Gaza, as an ambitious young guy. And, um, had it kind of messed me up a little bit and I got depressed when I came home and started to self-medicate. It was the first time in my life, my early 30s, that I ever used hard drugs. And uh, the doctor explained that even though I wasn't high on the air, it was enough to change my brain chemistry and make it more likely for me to freak out. So yeah, that's uh, that's that story. And that took you to meditation, which has changed your life and been your kind of the foundation of everything you, you, you've built your new empire on. And I'm somebody that I have friends that do it, and we're going to spend a lot of time on this because it's obviously, as I, I said, this foundation. How did you find meditation? Well, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a clean, neat, tidy story where I quit doing drugs and and then, you know, started meditating, and then it was, you know, my life was all, you know, rainbow barfing unicorns. The the twist here was that at, around the same time, I was assigned to cover faith and spirituality by my then mentor Peter Jennings, who's no longer with us. And I was raised in the People's Republic of Massachusetts. I uh, often joke that I had a bar mitzvah, but only for the money. So I was not really <laughs> interested in in spirituality, uh, but he forced me to do this gig and, and actually turned out to be great because I met a lot of people of faith and I learned how ignorant I was about these issues. And while I did not adopt any of faiths that I covered, uh, I really started to see the world in a, in a broader way. And it was while covering this beat that I that I encountered some of the research around meditation, which at that point had not been well publicized, but strongly suggests that meditation just in short daily doses can lower your blood pressure, boost your immune system. You, you refer to it as the science of meditation. That's interesting. Yeah, the heard science. I mean, the, to me, I mean, I it was just such a headline that 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 you know, anxiety and depression would be helped. That, that And the neuroscience is incredible that it shows that key areas of the brain change 
when you meditate. Uh, the area of the breast, uh, the the area of the brain associated with stress has been shown to shrink. Uh, the area of the brain associated with attention regulation, you know, our ability to focus, which is under assault these days, has been shown to grow. So th- these, this was all super compelling, and that's what got me to start doing it. And talk to as a guy who doesn't meditate. Um, and still, and sees it as that kind of crunchy thing, you know what I mean? Uh, that, that, that it, and I'm, I'm coming from a place of ignorance, obviously. Talk to me about the process, how someone would start to engage, and what, what it, you know, say, Donnie, here's how you meditate, and here's why you should. Sure. So first of all, no judgment. I mean, that was my mm-hmm. issue. I thought it was, you know, hippie nonsense, and, or, you know, new age treacle. I mean, I, I just thought it was, I completely dismissed it. I put it in the same bucket as, aura readings and dolphin healing. I just mm-hmm. didn't, didn't take it seriously at all. So for me, and I think for a lot of people like us, Donnie, the, the, the science is a, is a huge entree because it just, it makes it very hard to ignore, I think. So why you do it is because it's exercise for your brain and by extension, your mind. And it is a massively empowering thing to know that happiness which most of us assume is a, an unalterable factory setting. But in fact, what the science is showing us is that happiness is a skill that you can train. And that is incredibly good news. Well, what does that mean, happiness is a skill? Just the way you can work on your body in the gym, your biceps, your cardiovascular health, through doing repetitive exercise. Meditation is a kind of repetitive exercise for your brain that allows you to train the qualities of mind that you most want. Calm, patience, peace of mind, gratitude, compassion, connection, kindness. Um, these are all, these are not just, you know, you don't get your, your portion of these, uh, uh, of these qualities at birth and then you're just stuck with it. These are all sk- mental skills that are trainable via meditation and other modalities. And that is a really hopeful way to look at the world. And I don't think it's something that enough people understand. Power blackouts. They happen every year. But guess what, blackouts? You've met your match. Say hello to Goal Zero, the leader in affordable home power backup systems and solar generators. Goal Zero's generators power your fridge, freezer, lights, Wi-Fi, TV, and more with clean power. Their home backup systems, like the Yeti 3000X, have no fuel, no fumes, no noise, and no maintenance. Just good, clean energy that keeps your home up and running. They offer a range of products and affordable price points, from power stations that can provide a half day's worth of power, to solar generators and home backup systems that can keep you powered for one, two, or three days. Plus, they're all portable, so you can take your power with you when you go camping, tailgating, and more. So yeah, take that, blackouts. Our power is here to stay. Have peace of mind when blackouts hit. Go to GoalZero.com to learn more. So how would I meditate? Please teach me how to meditate. I mean, I'm sure. not going to do it. I just want to understand it, because I have some good friends that do it and swear by it. So first of all, two things to say before I, I talk about how to do it. One is I am I, I never push people to meditate. I learned the hard way when I started meditating and got really annoying about it. Uh, And my wife, as a consequence, to this day has a bit of a bad attitude about it because I was proselytizing all the time. I have learned to, to not push it on people. Second thing to say is that there are, the word meditation is a little bit like the word sports in that it describes a whole range of activities. So 
uh, I'm going to describe to you mindfulness meditation, which is derived from Buddhism, but it has been thoroughly secularized and, and stripped of any religious lingo or metaphysical claims. And it is this kind of meditation, mindfulness meditation, that has been studied the most in the labs. So does that make sense what I just yes, said? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So, so really, there are only three steps. Uh, the first is to find a reasonably quiet place and assume a reasonably comfortable position. You don't, you don't have to sit cross-legged. I'm 50 years old and have never liked uh, yoga, so yeah. I don't sit uh, cross-legged. I just sit in a chair. I even lie down sometimes. You can also do it standing up. So reasonably quiet place, reasonably comfortable position, close your eyes. If that makes you anxious, you don't have to close your eyes, but uh, you can kind of gaze softly at a neutral spot on the ground or on the ceiling or whatever, depending on what your position is. Bring your full attention to the feeling of your breath coming in and going out. You just like to, we just like to pick one spot where the breath is most prominent. Um, it can be your nose, your chest, or your belly. For some people, focusing on the breath can be kind of an anxiogenic, which is a fancy word for it can make you anxious. Right. So if that's true for you, you can just pick something else like the sensation of your whole body sitting. All we're trying to do here is to pick a naturally occurring sensation. It can also be sounds in the environment. And to try to focus on this, you know, on our breath, on the feeling of our body, on the sounds in our environment, just to try to focus on it for a little bit. That was step two, actually. I lied. So step one, reasonably comfortable position, eyes closed. Step two, focus on your breath. Step three is the most important because as soon as you try to do what I just described, which sounds easy in a vacuum, your mind will go into mutiny mode. You're going to start thinking, you know, what's for lunch? Sure. You know, you'll maybe you'll plan a, a, a homicide or you'll <laughs> have a whole glorious expletive-filled speech you'll sure. rehearse for your uh, business partner, whatever. The mind is like that. Trying to focus the mind is like hold, trying to hold a live fish in your hand. It's squirming away yeah. all the time. And the whole game in meditation is just to notice when you've become distracted and to start again and again and again. And this is the exercise. This is like the bicep curl for your brain. The knowing, the noticing you've, you've, your mind has run away and starting again and again and again. This is what shows up on the brain scans of meditators. Right. So, what, what, so, so now I'm breathing. I'm, I'm, I'm in touch with my breath. Uh, I'm in a quiet place, and what? How do I kind of take it to the next level, for lack of a better set of words? So it's really just about getting because if you try to do this, and again, but I should say about the breath, you don't have to breathe in any special way. You're just feeling the breath as it naturally occurs. As soon as you try to do this, you'll realize it's extremely hard yeah. uh, because the mind is all over the place, and it's at this point that a lot of people feel that they are failed meditators. A thing I hear all the time from people is. Dan, you don't understand. I know meditation is good for you, but I can't do it. I have some sort of bespoke lunacy that nobody else has. I call this the fallacy of uniqueness. Right. The good news and the bad news is you are not special. Evolution bequeathed us a racing mind because it made us able to scan the environment for threats and to look for food and sexual partners because evolution did not care about whether we were happy Natural selection just wanted you to get your DNA into the next generation. Yeah. So just knowing that the mind is cacophonous and chaotic is really helpful. And But the bad news is when you don't know that, when you don't know this thunderously obvious thing, which is that you have a mind and are thinking, then all of your thoughts own you. 
you know, you just have this random thought, oh, I should eat a sleeve of Oreos. And then you just do it. Yeah. Or you, your partner says, your, you know, your, your spouse says something annoying to you. And then you, there's no buffer between the stimulus and your reaction. You just uh, say something that ruins the next 48 hours of your life. And what meditation allows you to do is get more familiar with the ups and downs of your own mind so that it doesn't own you. We have this inner dialogue that is just yammering at us all day long. And most of us are unaware of it. And when we're unaware of it, it yanks us around. By the way, this inner dialogue, if we broadcast it aloud, you'd be locked up. Yeah. This, this nonstop conversation is so, it is our lives. We may think our life is about big ideals and to a certain extent it is. But really your moment to moment life is like, do I need a haircut? What's for lunch? Sure. Uh, why sure. does that person have uh, nicer shoes than me? And when you are unaware of all of these thoughts, they're like tiny dictators that we act out blindly. So how about you, you in, I understand in theory, but let's say I'm somebody and beyond just, you know, daily stresses, like I, you know, I've lost my job and I'm worried about my payments and, and I'm worried about my husband or wife leaving me. Or, I mean, really very dire stuff or God forbid, somebody very, very sick. How do you, how does that get turned off? Because it's so, it, it's not a question of a million ideas darting around in your head and let me just clear my head. There is something consuming you. Yeah, uh, I and, and those are those are dire situations that happen that will probably happen to all of us. Certainly, illness yes. uh, will happen to all of us and everyone we know. It's the non-negotiable law of the universe. We all get older and we all die. Uh, so life is life can be very hard. It can also be beautiful. Um, meditation is not a solution for that. It does not clear your mind. Clearing your mind is impossible unless you're enlightened or you have died. Uh, the, the, what, what meditation allows you to do is to not be so owned by your thoughts. So you're, you're always going to be thinking the mind secretes thoughts, the way the stomach secretes enzymes. That's always going to be, is always going to happen. What you can get better at is not, is, is having the self-awareness to see what's happening in your mind so that you're not owned by it. And that is called mindfulness. And it is a massively useful skill, no matter what's happening for you. Just because you meditate doesn't mean you're not going to get sick, doesn't mean you're, you might not lose your job, but it can change the way you handle those situations. And that's a massive value add. You, you talked about getting sick and aging and you, 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 you have a prescription of how to deal with the anxiety or the stress of getting old and, and fearing death. I, I mean, there are, there are any number of ways to deal with this age-old universal problem. Um, I think meditation and mindfulness is one way to deal with it. There's another form of meditation that I find to be really helpful um, for fear. And well, I'll, I'll, I'll preface this by saying when I first heard what I'm about to describe to you, I, I rejected it categorically because it just sounded impossibly cheesy like Valentine's Day with a gun to your head. Right. But here's the annoying thing about cliches is that they're true. Right. There's they only a, get a to be cliches exactly. sure. because they're true. So what is the antidote to fear? Love. And love is a skill, just like all those other mental qualities I described, like compassion and, and gratitude and equanimity and patience. Love is a thing you can train too uh, via meditation and there are other ways to do it. But, but I, I'll describe a form of meditation that again, remember I rejected this, but now do it right. on the daily. Mm -hmm. is called loving kindness meditation. And 
the steps are very simple um, and similar. You find a reasonably comfortable position in a reasonably quiet place. You start by envisioning a really easy person, could be a good friend or a pet. And then you silently repeat in your mind four phrases. May you be happy. May you be safe. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. Then you move on to yourself. And then a mentor, somebody who's helped you in your life. Then a neutral person. Then a difficult person, probably not hard to find. And then you finish with all beings everywhere. And now I, like I said, this, this sounded horrible to me. But this type of practice has been studied extensively and has been shown to have physiological, psychological, and even what behavioral are the four, what, what are the four, four things you say to yourself again? May you be happy. May you be safe. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. Um, and I, uh, I have now done an extensive amount of this practice. And I'll say I'm, I'm not the easiest person in the world. You know, I, uh, th there's a certain type of person that does well in TV news, uh, you know, you have to have some ego and yeah. some sharp elbows. Sure. And, um, you know, and I also, I think just I'm kind of by nature a frosty New Englander. And, you know, I thought this was helping me, this kind of attitude toward the world. And maybe a certain to a certain extent it was, but it was also really damaging my relationships. And softening those edges has made me much more happy, much happier, but also way more successful. Because, we are, you know, despite the fact that we live in the West where there's this idea of rugged individualism, the Marlboro man out there just roaming the prairies. We, again, back to evolution, we evolved as a social species. We cannot exist without our relationships. Mm -hmm. And if you're no good at that, you are not going to succeed. Well, your, your theory on the love meditation is, is really no different than when people say, if you're really upset about yourself, focus on others. It's as simple as that. Yes. Help, help others and yes. you help yourself. And yes. so yes. you're doing it mentally. You know, your podcast is, the titles just are incredible. And it really kind of sums up the help that you give people. Some titles of some of your more recent ones, mind-blowing sex. We're going to get to that in a second. You have experts <laughs> on how to suffer well, the joys of insignificance, the upside of the apocalypse. Uh, is it possible you are rational about COVID? Um, compassion is the ultimate tool for the truly ambitious. Become an active operator of your nervous system. I want to talk about mind-blowing sex. And that was, you had a, a Lori Brado on the show. Uh, what, what was the key to mind-blowing sex? Can, can I say a word about, I, I'm happy to talk about sex all day, okay. but can I say a word about the kind of, the, the ethos I bring to titling episodes and things like okay. that? Because I think this might be of interest to you as somebody who's who's accomplished so much in the world sure. of branding. Mm -hmm. Is that that? And I'd be interested to hear your feedback on this too. But for me, you know, ever since uh, two thousand eight or nine, when I first got interested in meditation, my the sort of one of the animating insights for me is that I there was all the science that suggested it was really good for you, and then I was and there are all these great meditation masters out there whose books I was reading, but I was struggling because I found the tone of these books to be quite annoying. And I wanted to talk about happiness and mindfulness and meditation in a way that would appeal to my fellow skeptics by not overpromising, hence, you know, calling my first book 10% Happier. Right. And also, you know, appealing directly to people's sense of ambition, the various things in their life that might suck. Um, and so anyway, I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with, with, with 
putting a, a, a re reskinning some of these ancient ideas. And I just wonder if you have any thoughts on that matter. All right, right on. By the way, I'm so happy you don't need me to tell you this is brilliant. What it does is it takes the basic premise of marketing, which is give the consumer a single-minded benefit. And so it takes it, you, you, you're giving, you're, you're, instead of saying meditation, instead of taking the size of it, you're like, okay, I'm going to give you 10% more happiness. And that's something that people can grapple with, can understand. It's a unique selling proposition. It's a cons end consumer. The end consumer benefit is in the title. So just the way you have how to suffer well or mind-blowing sex, you're doing that intuitively and it's brilliant. And it's just, you know, it, 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 it's so, I, you know, and you talked about how you discovered 10% happier. You were talking to a, a colleague about meditation. You were getting that kind of that skeptical glaze. And just some of those words came to you. And you saw a complete transformation in, in the person you were talking to. Yes. Yeah. I mean, just to fill that in, I was, I was talking to a colleague, a longtime colleague of mine at ABC News. This was back in 2010 when I had come home from my first meditation retreat. And she, she's a very good friend. She still is a friend. She was saying, you know, she was saying something to the effect of like, why are you doing this? What's the matter with you? You used to be normal. Uh, and again, this was way before meditation was, uh, was uh, as acceptable as it is in the culture right now. And I kind of was stammering uh, for an explanation. And I said, ah, because it makes me like 10% happier. And I saw the look on her face completely change from scorn to mild interest. And I thought, okay, there's my shtick. Well, it worked on me. As I said, I'm somebody who was your typical, uh, that, you know, that's just for hippy dippy stuff. And then the 10% happier kind of has really stoked my interest. It's just because it's something you can break down. Like, okay, this is not going to change your life. It's going to make it a little bit better and help you, you know, and, and that's something that's achievable. Uh, and it's a consumer and benefit. So I want to go back to mind blowing sex, though. What? Sure, what? Sure. I'm gonna, I haven't listened to that episode, but what, how, how 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 will I get there? What are the keys? Okay, so Dr. Lori Brato, B R O T T O. She's a Canadian researcher and has and has really at the tip of the spear, to use a loaded uh, phrase, I guess, in this context. She um, is is really the leader in looking at what does. What impact does meditation have on people's sex lives? Sexual, dis the number one cause, if I recall correctly, of sexual dysfunction, and this is particularly true among women, but I think it's also true among men, is stress. Sure. If you're just in your own head and feeling stressed, it's just you're 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 just not right in the sure. right headspace yeah. for sex. And so meditation has been shown to be extremely helpful for people lowering their stress levels and then being open to this, you know, this naturally, this, this gift provided to us by nature, which is sex, which makes us feel really good. It's good for sleep. It's obviously good if you want to have a child. So there are many, many benefits uh, for sex. It's good for your psychology, for your cardiovascular health. The other thing that's really useful about meditation is that it gets you out of your head and into your body. We are in, in modern life so stuck in our heads. We're like Macy's uh, Thanksgiving Day parades floats, you know, we're all head with this a tiny little body floating through the world. But in fact, you know, we have, we are, our heads are attached to this barometer really that is telling us how we feel at any given moment. The body is sending us so many signals about whether we're hungry, whether we're full. By the way, meditation is also a great tool for um, shaving down on overeating and having a healthier relationship to your body generally. Take me through that math. How is meditation going to translate, I want to lose seven or eight pounds, how, how, take me from A to B. Two ways. One, I think uh, getting out of the societally enforced pernicious messages about 
beauty only being restricted to certain body types, which are almost impossible to maintain for most of us, especially as we age. Taking the red pill and getting out of that matrix is extremely helpful. I'm not saying you shouldn't be healthy. I exercise six, seven days a week, but I am a way less fixated on the fact that it would now take an archaeological dig to find the abs that I had in my 30s, uh, which, which frustration caused me so much, um, took chewed up so much mental bandwidth. So for me, you know, having some, having the peace of mind and the calm and the focus to get out of the swirling stories of I need my body to look a certain way, et cetera, et cetera, which by the way, and you understand this, is made a thousand times worse by being on television. Sure. Um, the other thing to say is that there is a whole school of uh, mindfulness-infused, ex- uh, um, uh, uh, I, I don't want to, I, I want to call it a diet, but it's not. It's like the anti-diet. It's called intuitive eating. And unlike most diets, which have some external force coming in and saying, do eat this, don't eat that, you know, count your macros, uh, eat at this time, not at that time. Intuitive eating has a very simple idea, which is eat when you're hungry and stop eating when you're full, which is the way we're designed by nature, which is the way toddlers eat before we come in and screw them up with our social, uh, cultural ideas about what you should eat and when and how you should look. And meditation helps you get out of your head and into your body so you can hear the cues. Does it's that make any sense? It does make, I think I think that's brilliant actually. And it's interesting. I, we, we are conditioned to eat at certain times. Like when I was conditioned, I always have breakfast. And then a couple of days I skipped it and I realized I'm not hungry in the morning. Why am I eating? Like, well, what, what do I, you know, it's, I don't need to eat. I eat when you're hungry and I get hungry around yes. noon or one o'clock and my lunch is a little yes. bit early. And so, yes, I mean, it's something that I'm, I'm doing naturally also. Um, just a couple of other titles that j- jumped out at me, as I said. So, the joys of insignificance. Just kind of take me through the headlines from that episode. Well, uh, this really just goes to, it picks up some of the themes we've been discussing, this kind of idea, the idea of Western individualism, which is put on steroids by capitalism, which tells us that um, we're only going to be happy when we accumulate a certain number of Instagram followers and uh, make a certain amount of money. Neither of those is is unimportant entirely, but it shouldn't be the only yardstick for your worthiness. Um, we are we spend so much time trying to um, achieve and win and accumulate um, that we lose sight of what actually makes us happy. Uh, and on some level, part of that is seeing that we are very small creatures in a vast, unknowable universe. Um, and tapping into... Understanding that, yes. Yeah, understanding that, and also understanding that in order to drive ourselves to achieve, we we get locked in these really negative inner dialogues um, where we're comparing ourselves to the way other people look, to the way uh, other people's lives on on social media, et cetera, et cetera. So it creates a really... our, our, Our attempt to build ourselves up creates a lot of suffering that many of us are unaware of. But to drop out of that and to see, oh, (laughs) on some levels, uh, I am not that important. I am not the center of the world. It's like Copernican, in other words. You you drop out of being the center of the universe. Yeah, You know, you ever step back, because I can't think of any more, somebody who's had a more contrasting 
chapter one and chapter two to their professional life as far as, you know, hard news guy, you know, anchoring Nightline, anchoring, you know, GMA. You know, there's nothing, I know television news, there's nothing, as you said, more kind of like sharp elbowed and whatnot to this kind of self-help guru. I hate, I, it's okay, Koi, I hope it's okay. I, I mean, you couldn't set up, you, 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 one would have to think that you would, the, the, the gods talk to you or something like that because you ever kind of step out of yourself and go, how did I get here? No, it's totally ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. And I, you know, my wife and I joke about it all the time. Sometimes I say to her, because I'm a, a total wise ass, especially with my wife, but you know, sometimes I'll say, hey, baby, what's it like to be married to your spiritual leader, um, <laughs> which she never enjoys? Um, it's completely ridiculous. But I, actually, there is, a, there is a, a way to describe it that does make sense, which is that there are two things I've always loved and that I trained for 30 years to do, which is find great stories and tell great stories. And when in 2009, I learned that meditation is this, and Buddhism by extension, is this whole vast, fascinating world with all of this science to validate it. I realized this is an incredibly important story that nobody is telling in the mainstream. So you made it your so, life. You made this story your life. I, yes. This is basically, I've, I've taken myself from a hard news guy to a beat reporter who, um, I'm not necessarily a guru in the sense that I, I haven't done the amount of training that most meditation teachers have done, at least the good ones. But I've done a lot of research as a journalist so I can describe to you what's worked for me uh, and, and, and use my access to these amazing teachers to, to talk to people about what could work for them. And you meditate, at one point you were meditating two hours a day, but you meditate a full hour, not necessarily at one time, but if you added up an hour a day, you meditate. Yeah, the two-hour thing was a bit, it was me being, this is a great example of how I can be sort of annoyingly overzealous at times. Um, yeah, but now I'm much more relaxed about it and I just try to, I, I actually, at this point, I really like meditation. I look yeah. forward to it. So I just try to get in as much as I can. Well, I think like anything day. else, in order for it to work, you have to like it. I mean, if it's if it's a chore, if it's so that's what the people who work out who are the best at working out physically, the ones that kind of enjoy it, you know, and it's not as hard for some other people. Yeah, I think, you know, the way I've just seen it described is, you know, look, at the beginning, meditation is going to be hard and it might feel like a chore uh, at the beginning. But same with exercise, you know, if you're if you go to the gym and you're not panting and sweating, you're cheating. And the same is going to be true with uh, with meditation. It's going to be a little frustrating at first. It's a whole new skill. If I handed you a flute right now, you couldn't just like start playing Jethro Tull songs. You know, it, 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 it has to, you have to put in some work at the beginning. It doesn't have to be a ton of work. It could be a couple minutes, a couple times a week. But over time, what you, what you'll notice is that you're less yanked, you're less yanked around by your emotions. You're more focused. And then it gets in you and you feel an intrinsic motivation rather than and extrinsic motivation. It's not Dan Harris lecturing you, oh, you ought to do this yeah. thing. It's you lecturing yourself saying, oh, I ought to do it because I'm less of an asshole to myself and others when I do this. And that isn't that great. Um, and so, you know, the 10% is a modest offer. But now that I'm stuck with jo math jokes the rest of my life, it is a little bit like a good investment. It compounds annually. And it grows to it grows infinitely. And you, so I'm way more than 10% happier now That's than I was in 2009. I am vastly happier. My relationships are so much better. And uh, this is available to anybody. If I can do it, anybody can. You know, you, you, 
I'm sure you never saw yourself as an entrepreneur. You got a business now. Beyond, you know what I mean? Yes. You, you've got a book, you got yes. a podcast, you got a newsletter, yes. you got an app. I mean, where else can you take? I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful platform. Uh, as a guy who did this for my entire life, I go, wow. You know, that and so if I was your business partner and I came into you and said, Okay, look, this is a business. Yeah, obviously we want to help people, that's our mission, but we want to also build as much commerce against this as possible. Where do you take this? So there are a couple of things we're looking at. Uh, one is um just as online uh, psychotherapy has taken off. Uh We think um, live in-person meditation coaching, both as an individual and as groups. Great idea. Is going to be big. So we're working on that. I think in-person retreats. Uh, Right now, it's very hard to get into meditation retreats. And and they're often, they're they're almost all delivered in a very Buddhist fashion. I am nothing, I have nothing. Again, I consider myself to be a Buddhist. But for a lot of newcomers that, the accoutrements of Buddhism are off-putting. So I think a sort of secular um, uh, meditation retreat is something we're looking at. Um, I've been in conversations with a lot of folks on the West Coast about um, TV shows that would be uh, scripted and unscripted based on, on this kind of content. So yeah, I think there's a lot of places to take this. Hey, man, I really appreciate your time. The I don't want to say, I can say the book 10% happier. I could say the hit podcast 10% happier. I can say the app. 10% happier. So I'm just going to say the man who brought you 10% more happiness. I appreciate it. And go to the, the podcast is fantastic, guys. And particularly if you want to find out about my blog, sex. Dan Harris, I appreciate your time, man. Did I, did I come anywhere close to convincing you that, to maybe try it yeah, again? I don't want to push without, it. Without, oh, wait, but I didn't ask you one question I ask everybody, but I think I, we've answered already. I ask everybody, you know, my whole premise is that everybody and everything is a brand, you know? So what's the Dan Harris brand? The mind is trainable. You're not stuck with... Uh, your your personality as it's currently configured, we can we can we can work on a lot of the things that are causing you and the people around you suffering. The well, mind is trainable. Well, I'm not saying you've converted me, but you've piqued my interest, and I'm going to give it a shot. I, I want to understand. I want to do a little bit more research on how to do it. I, I I know you you kind of took me through three easy steps, but I want to I'll do a little more homework in terms of the actual technique. But but you seeing is believing. There are many great meditation apps out there. I'm part of, partial to, to mine, but but um, uh, there many of them are are really really good. But if you download, if you do happen to download mine, start with a course called the Basics, and it walks you through it in a very simple, user friendly way. I'd be interested to hear if that works for you. We'll do a follow up, Dan Harris. Thank you so much for your time Excellent. and how busy you are. Thanks, man. Thank you, Donnie. Hope you enjoyed today's show, and hope you're ten percent happier already. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you get podcasts, Apple, Spotify, anyplace else. And also please either subscribe or comment on our videos on YouTube. You can watch our videos there. And we will see you next week on On Brand. Hi, this is Jim Jeffries. I have a podcast out called I Don't Know About That. Each episode is a different subject. We bring an expert on and I say everything I think I know about that subject. And then they correct me. Join in, listen to the podcast, you'll have a laugh and you might learn something. Follow, rate and review. I don't know about that with Jim Jeffries. Now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. You can also catch video releases each week on YouTube.